0: Your host, Daniel Shaw, and with me is our co-host, John McGregor. How you doing, John? Good, Daniel. How are you? Happy birthday. Well, thank you. I'm doing very well, and today is my birthday all day long, and what I choose to do with my time is spend it giving to you, the listeners, doing this episode of Cast. Actually, I really don't have anything else to do. My birthday is on a Sunday, so
1: why not? I didn't really know if this was your birthday. Being April Fool's and all this could all be a a trick.
0: You know, that's been going on my entire life. I I can't tell you how many times I've had to show my ID to prove that I am not playing a joke on anybody. It's, (laughs) uh, It's the real deal. It really is. My birthday is on April Fool's Day every year.
1: It's usually the way it works.
0: Yep, it is. I am 23 today. Excellent. Yep, yep. I think I'll be 23 again next year too.
1: It's a very good year.
0: So uh, today we're going to talk about
1: warning shots. Of course,
0: listen, uh, answer a little bit of listener email, and, and I think we talked about getting into a scenario, didn't we? And
1: yeah, we did.
0: Or maybe maybe giving a scenario, uh, requesting feedback on said scenario, and then us giving our opinions in the next show. I think is the way we were talking about. I kind of like that.
1: Yeah, let's try it.
0: We're really pushing for listener interaction here. so All right, let's go ahead and get on with it. Warning shots. John, go. Don't do them. Oh, whoops. And now, now let me give you my opinion. Don't do them. All right, well, thanks for joining us. Now it's time for, i get a couple emails.
1: <laughs> well, what uh, do you, uh, in the military, you know, maybe there's a different military application, but do you guys receive any any type of warning shot training or anything like that?
0: Everywhere I've ever been where we had live rounds, always in the rules of engagement that we get, warning shots are not authorized. Now, I say that, but then there is also situations in Iraq where we actually started using what's a, a, something similar to a warning shot. Uh, it wasn't exactly a warning shot, but some people would uh, have some you know, 203 grenade launcher rounds and shoot them at cars that were coming up too close. Now, they didn't shoot the actual grenades at them. They would shoot our blue practice rounds that just kind of bust out with like a blue chalky material whenever they hit something. Mm -hmm. Uh, The chances of it breaking a windshield are pretty high. You know, it's not going to blow up the person in the car or anything. But you hit a hood of a car or something like that with that thing, and they're pretty much going to know, you know what, maybe I should read the sign on the back of that car in front of me and stay a certain amount of distance away. Maybe that guy who's pointing and waving, uh, maybe I should listen to what he has to say because... He just fired what could have been a grenade at me, uh, but he was nice enough to make it a, tra- a training practice round. And so that kind of went on for a while, and there were some issues with that. Then that ended up stopping because of some incidents and stuff. And then uh, they go on to some different things where they would actually like throw things. And uh, there's been all kinds of things done that I've heard about. Some not-so-great ideas and some you know pretty innovative ideas. But I think the bottom line is uh, we don't do warning shots. I mean, especially if you're in a place like Iraq or something, where we're, a lot of times we're operating in cities, moving around. Uh, we're doing support and stability operations. Support and stability operations tend to be in urban areas because that's who you're going to, you know, try to support and stabilize the, uh, the local governments and, and the, everything else that's going on there. So we end up being around cities all the time, and these are highly populated. You fire a warning shot, it might be away from that guy who's doing you harm, but uh, there's no telling where that thing's going to go, you know. For that, we don't uh, tend to fire warning shots.
1: Now, I would almost wonder, too, if, uh, you know, from your perspective or whatever, if, you know, somebody fires a warning shot, but the other people don't realize it's a warning shot, that could kind of start a gunfight as well.
0: Well, in our recent recent times, we know who the good guys are that have guns. And if anybody else has guns, uh, they can pretty much go ahead and get shot right then. There's really, I don't see any need uh, in a military application, as far as infantry, in the kind of fight that we're in right now to fire a warning shot. If a guy who is clearly not uh, an Afghan National Army or whatever, uh, if, if he's not an uh, Afghan police, then he shouldn't be out walking around with an AK. Or if he's got an RPG, he's just going to go in and get shot right then anyway. There's rules of engagements that, that cover all that stuff in more detail. Basically, if you're a bad guy, and of course deadly force is authorized, and there's a bad guy there, of course it'd be nice to not have him fire around. And if yelling at him makes him not fire around and put his weapon down, great. But most of the time, that's not really going to do any good. He's already decided he's going to go out and do somebody's harm. Probably going to go ahead and not get a warning shot.
1: Yeah, I've been, um, you know, I've been involved in law enforcement for. just over 20 years now, so I've kind of had it, you know, knocked into my head that I've never worked at a place where warning shots were permitted. Um, You know, I'm not even sure. There might be some place in the United States where, you know, they've got a policy that that would allow that, but it's always been pretty much uh, instilled upon me that if you are authorized in shooting somebody if you have to stop somebody with deadly force you stop somebody with a deadly force if you are not authorized to use deadly force on someone you know you don't try to use the deadly force to stop them it's just you know kind of black and white in that perspective
0: yeah i think it's pretty simple like that for even if you're talking about you know concealed carry individual who's not a law enforcement you know not in a military type environment if you have to pull your weapon out then You've already made the decision that it's probably going to be time to fire really quickly. Now, by all means, draw your weapon and and give verbal commands first. And if you can defuse the situation with those verbal commands, then great. Uh, The next step in the escalation of force is not fire a warning shot. The next thing above verbal commands, you know, the threat is there, and he's turning towards you. You you go ahead and fire a warning shot. You know, he's not going to fire a warning shot, and now your gunfight starts with him aiming. And you firing a warning shot, and you're one less round in your gun now. So it's all around a bad idea for that reason. Tactical, tactically, it's for decision. But you know, also, where's that round going to go? Well, it's been many cases as I was looking this up. Uh, the book I'm reading by Masada Yu talks about it. Uh, there's many cases where people are firing rounds of warning shot, and people are dying a mile away. People are dying in the rooms in a house next door. It's and they. Went back in, mind their own business for hours, and didn't find out till later. It's just all kind of crazy stuff that goes on when you fire a warning shot. When, I think there's that old saying: every time you fire a round, there's a lawyer attached to every bullet. Yeah, I don't like that. That's I think that sounds kind of uh, selfish or something. Maybe uh, you fire that round, the lawyer, you know, that's that's you going to jail or you having to pay a lot of money in civil uh, court or whatever. Uh, I think it's more important to think that you know you fire that round. there may or may not be a life attached to that round. That thing could take a human life. You don't know where it's going to go. It's very irresponsible to fire a warning shot uh, and not know exactly where that thing's going, as in the ground right next to you or uh, the brick wall right next to you. So I know where it's at, and uh, I know it didn't hit anybody, and there was nobody around to catch any spray, off of it or a ricochet or anything else. Even then, I think it's a bad idea. By all means, do not just fire into the air, you know, thinking that, Oh, I'll stop this by shooting in the air. You know, you might have stopped that scenario. It may work. It worked recently down in was it Florida, where uh, somebody fired a warning shot. It was a really interesting situation. I can't remember. Probably should look that one up. Huh?
1: The uh, but, uh, there was one in my state, New Hampshire, recently.
0: That's it. Yep. And you know, it, it worked out there, but man, it was still so scary. Like it, <laughs> the sun was shining on the dog's butt that day. You know what I mean? It was just everything seemed to work out great and you know good on the guy for not having to kill the guy and everything that worked out but man it's just it was like almost the complete luck involved we train and we do everything that we make we think tactically and do everything that we do luck is always great to have on your side but it's not always going to be there Murphy's always going to show his head too you can't depend on you know hopefully this will work or you know, luck will take care of me so we got to make smart tactical decisions and I think tactically warning shots are not uh, like I said a minute ago, you lose one of your rounds in your gun, those rounds may be very valuable, especially if you only carry one magazine, the one in your pistol, you don't carry an extra magazine. There's been cases documented, and I'll, I'll put a link to the website that I was just kind of Googling around and looking at, and they had some good pros and cons that we can go over here in a few minutes. But they had a few cases cited where uh, a law enforcement had fired a warning shot in close, or, you know, so carry holders fired them in close and responding officers thought that they were the bad guy thought that their fellow law enforcement officer was the bad guy. Like, why did he just fire around? All I see is people running, and this guy just fired a shot. And I don't see any bad guy. So, I mean, that's kind of like that situation that we got into a few shows back where the responding officers see that you just shot somebody. Right now, that guy on the ground looks like a victim. You look like a bad guy. I think you're opening yourself up to uh, more trouble by doing that in that way.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, I think, you know, there might be some kind of perception that... uh you know, if you shoot at somebody, it's deadly force, but if you fire a warning shot, it's not deadly force. And, you know, I don't, I don't see it that way at all. I think that's kind of a slippery slope to where, you know, if you can justify in your mind that, that a warning shot is not deadly force, you know, how far, you know, following that logic train, well, then you know, why don't we shoot people in the arm or something? Because that's not deadly force. We're just shooting to wound and so forth. Obviously that's you know, that's crazy. You can't you can't shoot to wound reliably anyway. You're still using deadly force. So I think it's kind of a slippery kind of slippery slope to think that we can incorporate that into our toolbox as it were, as a viable tool. You know, what you were talking about earlier about you know the viability of a warning shot if you know exactly where that round's going to go exactly where it's going to stop first of all it, ballistics isn't ever a hundred percent reliable we never know with a hundred percent certainty what's going to happen to you know a projectile when it hits a body or it hits a, a solid surface you know it's never a hundred percent that that round is going to stop right there you don't know where it's going to go and you know firing at the ground next to you uh, you know you may end up hurting yourself to start a gunfight and that's that wouldn't be a very good tactic, I wouldn't think.
0: Yeah, exactly. And since you talked we talked about like what it is and you you threw out that uh, it's not deadly force. Let me read the definition. This is from a website and I looked at it a little bit. It seemed kind of somewhat legit. I don't know much about them. They may be an awesome group. they may not be, but uh, they had some they cited all their sources and uh, since they provided all their citations there I, I pretty much uh, said, you know what it's worth talking about. But it's the uh, Liability Assessment and Awareness International. They happen to not cite this uh, definition, but their definition of a warning shot is the intentional discharge of a firearm with the purpose of causing a positive change in a person's behavior. A warning shot could be fired to cause a person to stop fleeing, to cause a person to drop a weapon, to gain the attention of potential violent crowd, etc. So I uh, had to talk about using it for non-lethal or, or whatever, and this was also, I wanna say, written, yes, 1994. So it's a little bit old. I think we have developed quite a bit in our non-lethal capabilities since then. Uh, firing a warning shot in a non-lethal uh, type situation, I think, would be an even worse situation. But without getting into that, uh, we'll stick to the you know law enforcement and concealed carry people. But basically, it's a intentional discharge to try to change someone's behavior. If someone's behaving such that your verbal commands and the presence of your weapon and the presence of the authority, which is you, telling them forcefully to stop or I will shoot and they continue to do a threatening act, there is no time in there for a warning shot. You don't want to attach yourself or someone else's life to that bullet going out in a warning shot. Like you said, you don't want to hurt yourself by shooting the ground right next to you before the fight even happens. It's just... All around, it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. But apparently it makes a little bit of sense to these guys because they have some pros and some cons. And their pros are, may cause the fleeing suspect to physically stop or stop a vehicle. Okay, for concealed carry type people, if you have a fleeing suspect, he's, he's not hurting anybody anymore. He's running. Now, if you're in an active killer type situation where he's going through a mall or our favorite parking garage, Then he's not a fleeing suspect. He is running from the best of your knowledge. Is he is moving to go kill more people? He's been walking around killing folks. He, it's you shoot him then. His continued existence is a clear and present danger to the lives around you, and him. And in that situation, you saw him killing people before that. Then he is not a fleeing suspect. He is an active killer. So that's a little bit different there. Stopping someone because they just robbed a store and running away. Don't shoot them. Don't use a warning shot. Either one of those, you're probably going to jail. What do you think about that one, John?
1: Uh, I agree with what you said. I mean, I think especially from the law enforcement side, just because somebody is, you know, running away from us or or fleeing uh, doesn't mean that we will always do everything in our power to stop that person, you know. And kind of what this translates to is more of a, uh, a vehicle pursuit but it could also be a foot pursuit too because those are pretty can be pretty dangerous pretty easy to be led into an ambush but you've got to take the the totality of circumstances into account that just because you've you know you've done something and you know i or another police officer wants to arrest you it may not be worth the risk of getting into a a pursuit to go chase you, you know, down the roads with innocent people and so forth. And I kind of think the warning shot applies too. If somebody's fleeing, they're not a, uh, an immediate threat to somebody else's life, then I think you're doing more harm than good by going to a warning shot as your as your tactic. I mean, there's other, obviously, you know, we start, uh, you know, communicating, getting other units to respond, or if you're a concealed uh, carry, you know, just a responsible citizen, um, you know, you don't have any duty to catch that person anyway. If they're not a threat to you, you know, the best thing you can do is, you know, start getting, um, you know, law enforcement responding, um, be a good witness at that point.
0: Exactly. Yep. And another one they have is may stop or limit a person's aggression. Yeah. I mean, you firing a shot may stop something, but again, everything that we talked about already still applies. If they're already being aggressive and they're threatening, don't waste the round on the warning shot. That's all I'm saying. Uh, shoot to stop, right away. Don't give them any more time. You know, end the scenario right there. And the other one is may get the crowd's attention. <laughs> Not something for us concealed carry people to worry about at all. Uh, unless you just want to get tackled and shot and killed or whatever yourself, uh, that would be a bad idea all around.
1: Yeah, I think that's another one of those. Maybe you know, kind of asked you about it on the military side, but. I mean, that's something that could easily turn into, you know, contagious gunfire when, you know, maybe the guy down the street, you know, another officer doesn't know that I just attempted to fire a warning shot. And now, you know, he thinks he's getting shot at and, and pretty soon, you know, everybody's kind of lighting it up. Uh, what
0: yep, th- that's an excellent point. Gunfire is very contagious.
1: Yeah. One of the things that you'd uh, touched upon before, before that was the aggression, too. Uh, there's... Not every type of aggression is. Are we going to be able to use deadly force, to, to deal with? Um, so I'm, I'm kind of confused about that. Is that just where you know somebody's yelling and pointing, and you know they look like they, they want to get into some you know, physical altercation? Are they saying that it'd be a good idea to pull out a gun, do a warning shot? That yeah, might stop their aggression. Uh, I'm, but, I,
0: I, they don't elaborate on it, but I, I'm hoping that's not what they're saying.
1: Yeah uh i
0: would say i would assume that what they're saying is something uh, to the effect of bad guy has the will and means and intent to do deadly force or harm to someone and you may stop that aggression by firing a warning shot yeah uh, i don't know maybe maybe someone's raping someone at knife point and you see it mm-hmm. and you know, maybe firing, they're saying that maybe firing one shot then would work. I don't know. Yeah. I guess I could go pretty much any direction you wanted it to. But, uh, yeah, like you said, uh, if you want to generalize, also, like, if I just look mean and look like I'm angry, and, you, oh, now I'm happy, you fired a warning shot, I'm no longer going to be aggressive.
1: Instead, I'm going to call the police and have you arrested for reckless conduct, because I wasn't doing anything that deserved to be exactly. getting shot.
0: Yep. Well, their cons to do these people justice, their cons are it may impact the innocent bystander. And I think that is the most paramount reason yeah. to not fire a warning shot.
1: I think that's... Because
0: it may hurt an
1: unintended target, you know. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal.
0: Yeah. Uh, the other one they said is a pretty good point, too. Uh, it may impact a suspect when deadly force is not justified. And... Yeah, that's a good point, too. I mean, if deadly force isn't justified, I should not be pulling my trigger, period. Firing a round, uh, that's going to be really hard to argue in a courtroom. Uh, say, no, 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 I didn't use deadly force. I fired somewhere else. I wasn't even shooting at him. It wasn't deadly force. Yeah, you try to argue that one and see if you win. That's
1: it. I mean, it's, uh, it's just not going to work. That's kind of what I was wondering about You know, when they were just using the term aggression. If that's what they were referring to, and and I guess by calling it, you know, one of their cons to the technique that, you know, maybe they were considering, you know, all types of aggression. So, you know, a warning shot when deadly force wouldn't be authorized, just like you said, it, you know, something, you know, freak ricochet or something. Now you've used deadly force when you weren't authorized to, and, you know, you're going to be the one going to jail
0: yeah you know and there's many situations that we could think of where deadly force is not authorized right now but i'm going to go ahead and draw my pistol because i truly believe based on my training and what i see in my situation that i will need to use deadly force imminently so i can you know pull it out and start giving the commands Mm -hmm. you know then you get that furtive movement that's not time for a warning shot it's time to put bullets on bad guys shooting a warning shot uh, that (laughs) don't want to hit that guy Uh, Another one was uh, may precipitate another officer to shoot someone unjustifiably, and that's what you were talking about with the contagious gunfire. And I think that would be very, very likely as well. Mm -hmm. And here's one. Uh, We should talk about escalation of force in a later show. Uh, We we mention it every once in a while, but haven't actually done a show on escalation of force. May cause a recipient, recipient of the warning shot to escalate his or her use of force against the officers.
1: Yeah. And so just by that being a con, again, it sounds like they're anticipating using this warning shot when they're not already in a, a deadly force situation. So uh, again, doesn't doesn't really sound like a, a viable tactic to me. Now, you know, I'm sure somebody can probably come up with some scenario, you know, I don't ever want to, you know, never say never, that kind of thing. And maybe there is some kind of scenario where you know a warning shot would be the the best plan but and I'd be curious I'd like to hear it because again maybe it's just because I've been trained the same way for the last 20 years but uh, it's not something that would you know ever occur to me to do at this point.
0: Well you've been taught escalation of force and you may call it something different in law enforcement or whatever we call escalation of force and you're never going to go two levels greater than what your threat is. You're going to Go beyond that threat so that you have the the firepower to take care of it before uh, his threat level raises. So you've always you're always one step ahead, but and you'll you'll meet and then slightly exceed that threat level uh, if you have that ability. But uh, you don't go straight from maybe verbal commands will take care of this. If you pull out a gun whenever you should be using verbal commands, you just escalated too far. Now you're you, you're you're causing escalation. You're creating uh, an unsafe situation for yourself, where this guy may have just responded to verbal cam- commands and your presence of being there. Now you went straight to the gun, so now he's feeling that his life is in danger, and you're about to shoot him if he doesn't fight back. So you may be causing more problems than than not. Going straight from their deadly force is not authorized here. Deadly force is is not justifiable uh, in this situation, and I, I may be justified pulling my firearm out for whatever reason, but. Pulling your firearm out is another escalation of force in itself. Going beyond that and firing a warning shot when deadly force is not authorized at that moment and you're not justified in doing so and using deadly force, then you're making a huge mistake.
1: Yeah, one of the things, um, like the place uh, that I work, my department, you know, we track uses of force and so forth. And uh, anytime, you know, if we pull out uh, a taser, for example, and, you know, I point the Taser at you and I tell you to do something. But we consider that that it's not that's not verbal commands that that made you do what I wanted you to. It was the threat of the Taser. We pretty much consider that a use of the Taser. And whether we hit you with it or not, it's uh, you know it's not my eloquent words that are making you do something. It's more likely the you know that red dot that's on your chest and you anticipating getting you know zapped with some electricity. That's more likely uh, causing you to change your behavior, so it's it's kind of the same uh, with firearms. If you know if we have a firearm out or something, and uh, you know maybe it's a, a building that's been broken into and we're, we're searching at night or so forth. Obviously, if there's nobody in the building, then no use of force occurs because we're not using the firearm to modify anybody's behavior. But uh, by the same token, if uh, you know, we do find somebody, we take them down at gunpoint, you know, we're not shooting them or anything, we're not harming them, but we still consider that, and we tally that as a a use of force with a firearm, using the firearm to modify somebody's behavior. Now, I'm not sure that all departments do that. I'm sure some of the bigger departments would, you know, that would happen so often that it would be an astronomical number, but, uh, you know, the size department we are, that's, I mean, that's just the way that...
0: uh Oh, it makes perfect sense. You know, you stand around and you have your I've been in many cases in, in Iraq where I'm just standing around and I'm kind of at the safe and let it hang position uh, with my sling just hanging, my rifle hanging in front of me and uh, my hand, you know, on, on the pistol grip, but not in any threatening manner whatsoever, just kind of like I'm relaxing my hand there. You know, a situation occurs, a vehicle pulls up or something, we're starting to get someone out of the vehicle, they're not being very cooperative or responsive. Uh, all you have to do is slightly change posture. Uh, it's not even pointing the weapon at them it's still pointing down at the ground. Maybe uh, Half this is between you and you know the individual and but then you take a more aggressive stance and Your forward hand goes through that foregrip. you know this guy's personality completely changes right away uh, And it's really easy to see that. Oh, you know what? I think I'm gonna comply now uh, this guy and all I did was uh, Give verbal commands. that didn't work. I slightly changed my posture I still didn't threaten him with the weapon or say I stop or I'll shoot or anything like that. I just gave the same commands in a slightly different posture and the presence of me possibly having the will to use my firearm, I uh, can completely
1: change someone's behavior. So warning shots, good idea or no? Uh
0: warning shots are a very bad idea.
1: Yeah. I But I would have to say based on, you know, I and I can only go with the, you know, the laws of the United States and so forth, uh I would have to say warning shots, no-go.
0: Now, there are cases where they work out, like the one you talked about in New Hampshire, where it worked out great, and it barely did.
1: Yeah, it it, it, it didn't work out so great, really. Uh, Like you said, it was kind of one of those things where luck prevailed. Um, I've only read the news accounts. I haven't read any official police reports or anything like that, but apparently he, um, the gentleman had come home, found his house broken into, and so he pulled out his revolver and went to go check on his neighbor's houses. And that's apparently when he encounters a suspect coming out a window. And uh, he ends up firing a warning shot at the ground um, in order to prevent the suspect from escaping. Just based on that fact pattern, it seems kind of problematic. if, If there's no imminent threat of deadly force upon the person... Like you said, if if he'd have fired the warning shot and, you know, some ricochet ends up hitting the guy, he might have had a hard time showing that, you know, he was justified in using deadly force. I mean, the other thing is, you know, um, you know the the gentleman, I'm sure he had all the right intentions, but he's found his house broken into and it's not clear when he called the police or if anybody else did. but. I mean, if you can imagine, you know, houses are broken into, some other neighbor comes home, calls the police, now the police are responding, and they find this guy walking around houses with a, a revolver in his hand, uh, you know, that's another thing that could go horribly wrong.
0: Yep. You know, chasing them itself is a bad idea, but the uh, what you said in there was, you know, he's running, the individual, with the bad guy is running, and you shoot a uh, warning shot. If that accidentally would hit him... Now, there's probably get a good lawyer. You could probably get acquitted of of any attempted murder or assault or anything like that you might be able to get off on that because people will understand by you know your clean record is this. Witness would say, yeah, he fired a warning shot, blah blah blah, and you know you might get off on that in criminal court, maybe. Not saying you will, but you might. Uh, but if that you know bad guy say he gets hit by a ricochet or just something scratches up and hits him on the hits him on the scratches his arm, something simple, well you're going to civil court. And you're going to get sued. And, they're, and if you do this in your house, they're going to get your homeowners insurance. So they're going to really go after you. Uh, that's where they want to do it. They're gonna, they don't want you. To, it, the lawyers are going to make more money in, in that civil court than they will the, the criminal court anyway. So you do something out there on the street or in your house, and you give chase and you fire a warning shot, and he's even slightly hurt in any way, you're not getting off on that civil. You know, you you used unnecessary risk. He was already leaving. You, you could deadly force wasn't justifiable. You just basically gave away your retirement and everything else that you will ever make for the rest of your life.
1: Yeah, the other part of the puzzle um, for this particular scenario was that uh, you know the the good guy in this case, you know the guy who's trying to do the right thing, he ends up getting arrested. Um, And I don't, you know, there was a, a lot of comments I've seen you know, on the stories and so forth. A lot of people up in arms about it, but I kind of, you know, I don't have a, any issue with the fact that he was arrested. I mean, the responding officers had to, you know, kind of make a decision, you know, did they have probable cause to believe a crime had been committed? Uh, yeah, they established probable cause and I think it's, um, basically any type of you know if you've been to any type of self-defense training if if you're involved in some type of shooting you should anticipate that law enforcement's going to get involved now that being said and you know do i think he should have um basically what happened is they um the prosecuting attorney decided to drop the charges and you know i think that's absolutely the way the system's supposed to work you know law enforcement your responding officer um his job is not to you know have every case um, basically beyond a reasonable doubt before he makes an arrest. A police officer makes an arrest if there's probable cause to do so. It's the prosecutor's job to prove that beyond a reasonable doubt so uh where there was a lot of negativity in the press you know i don't I don't fault the uh the police department I think they did what they had to do, but by the same token you know I think it worked out the way it should have. I think the charges should have been dropped and you know, I think everything worked out appropriately. Yep.
0: That was it. But, now, I remember years ago, this is many years I'm sorry,
1: go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, that being said, you know, it all worked out well in the end. But, you know, if you're the good guy, do you want to go through that stress? Um, even, I guess it was a pretty short time period between the time he was arrested and the time he decided to drop the charges. But uh, I got to imagine that's probably a kind of a stressful situation to, to be in.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I remember I read uh, John R. Lott's book "More Guns, Less Crime" many years ago. This was a long, long time ago, and I can't remember the exact story. But he gave a couple situations of women carrying guns and stopping rapists. And I think this certain situation was on a college campus somewhere. And she had the gun in some kind of holster or something next to her as she was driving the car. And uh, the guy who there's a there's been rapists uh, rapes occurred occurring uh, very recently in uh, on that campus. And this guy comes up to the door, basically beating a description of everything that she had heard about. And he was being very forceful. And, uh, you know, based on what she saw there, she realized that this guy was trying to get her out of the car to rape her. He, she ended up reaching over and firing a shot into her floorboard, and the guy ran away. Now, this was a case where firing, I guess you could call it a warning shot. She was, I think the this situation, she was scared to... to for the time to reach over and point the gun at him and fire, so she just found a shot right there, just hoping it would have a a good effect, but uh, it worked in that situation. I don't know if her car was messed up after that. It's just uh, a situation, I guess, where it worked out, still not advocating it.
1: Now, based on that, uh, do you think that that's a warning shot or do you think that's an unintentional discharge under stress?
0: What it sounded like to me was an unintentional discharge under stress but the way Lot worded it was fired it into the floorboard and he didn't really get into specifics whether it was intentional or unintentional.
1: Hmm. I think that's you know, that's where I'm gonna use warning shots from now on. If I'm at the range and I miss, then I'm gonna call that a warning shot.
0: <laughs> there you go. Just tell it tell them through uh, the training officers that that's you, I guess. Next time you're qualifying. Like, you, you missed here. Where's your 10th where's your, where's your shot? Oh, no, that wasn't my 10th shot. That was my first shot. It was a warning shot. And see if, see if that works for you.
1: Yeah, I don't think that'll go over big.
0: Probably not. Probably not going to work. You know, but there's a... Uh, you can look around. Like I said earlier, that Mass's book talked about that, that I'm reading. The one on uh, combat handguns. You can check out some of his literature and that stuff and probably some posts on there, but he, he goes into them uh, warning shots pretty heavily at times and says basically the same things that we've been saying. If you're not ready to, if you're not justifiable in pulling that trigger on that threat and shooting to stop that threat, then you need to keep that gun quiet until you are justified in doing so.
1: Yeah, that's pretty good advice. I think so, too.
0: All right, well, that's it for warning shots. We kind of went around and back and forth and said the same thing ten times, but uh, I think we got the point across that uh, John McGregor and Daniel Shaw do not think that you should do warning shots.
1: Absolutely correct. So
0: let's uh, take a little quick break and come back, answer uh, one or two emails and do our little scenario and call it a day. We'll call it a birthday.
1: A birthday day. Yeah.
2: All
1: right. We'll be right back.
2: It was one of the worst mass murders committed by a single person. It happened down south. A lunatic killed 27 people, including his own mother, in a single pass. The killer used a six-shot revolver and a knife. Mass murderers find whatever tools they need, and those tools don't need to be sporting rifles or high-capacity clips. A slow, reloading revolver is all this fellow needed. Banning clips will not prevent a madman's massacre. But that doesn't matter to the gun control industry who thinks inanimate objects are evil, but ignore the deranged people who misuse them. Arm yourself with facts to strip the gun control industry bare. Visit gunfacts.info and get your free copy of Gun Facts. Called Indispensable by Cam Edwards of NRA News, Gun Facts is your rapid reference guide to debunking gun control myths and shaming politicians into obedience www.gunfacts.info
1: Well, welcome back. We're uh, here with our email segment. Uh, we've got a couple emails that we'd like to share with you. I'm going to take the first one. Uh, this is from a uh, gentleman I had in class named Barrett. Basically, uh, he's getting involved in law enforcement. That's a good name. Yes, it is. They make sexy guns. Yeah, his uh, middle, middle name is Fifty. Um, but what he was asking about um, he's uh, said that he's getting into law enforcement he's somewhat new to rifles but um, he was looking at a couple different uh, different sig rifles when he was up uh, up with me and uh, basically looking at a uh, impingement version the uh, you know the traditional impingement m4 type of rifle or if he should go to a Piston system like a five sixteen. He was also asking about uh, uh, thoughts on going with a short barrel, a ten inch barrel. Basically, uh, for me, I know that the piston systems have their place and so forth. But you know, for me personally, I don't have uh, as much of a use for them. And I guess it's not even so much a use. Let's we'll just cut to the chase here. I'm cheap. I don't see the additional value of a piston system for my application. Um, I'm not going on, you know, two-week patrols and stuff where I'm not going to have a chance to clean it. I'm always, you know, I've always got the ability to maintain the weapon system. Uh, So for me, the the benefit of a cleaner running piston system versus a gas impingement, uh, I don't get a lot of uh, value for the additional cost in my particular situation. As far as... Uh, Short-barreled stuff goes. Um, you know, I'm curious to see what Daniel thinks about this, but I've never, I've never been really enamored with going with the shorter barrels, um, and I think part of that is maybe, you know, just because I'm not all that familiar with the processes of. Uh, buying and selling those things. Uh, first of all, I do know that I've got to pay another 200 bucks for the privilege of buying a shorter barrel. So again, I said I'm cheap, so that's uh, a negative in my book. But also, um, you know, just from my being uh, involved in law enforcement and, uh, you know, particularly being involved in farms and so forth, I've known um, there have been a couple times where we've had to trade in Um, you know, like we had some shorter barrel shotguns. Uh, We had some MP5s and so forth, things that, uh, you know, we can't just sell to the gun store. We need to go through a class three dealer. And, uh, you know, it never seemed like we were really getting a a real good fair trade on those things. You know, the problem is we can't just, we can't just sell them to anybody. We got to find somebody with a license. And so I would be concerned if I were to, you know, pay the the 200 bucks and buy myself a 10 inch, uh, upper or something, if I did want to sell it, or, you know, hopefully 50 years from now, my estate wants to sell it, you know, how much of a hassle is it going to be to get rid of the thing? Are they even going to, you know, is it going to be worth anything by the time they get done, you know, finding somebody to, uh, to trade into. So I've never been all that enamored with the, uh, the shorter barrels. Especially, you know, for me, uh, I look at it somewhat as 200 bucks for, you know, six inches shorter. Uh, so I don't see a, for me personally, a whole lot of value. If uh, I need a 10-inch barrel, um, you know, I've got a police department, an application that for that, they're going to provide it for me. And, and actually, that's what we actually do have right now. We just went to uh, SIG 516s with a 10-inch barrel. And they're nice, but if it was me paying the money I wouldn't spend the extra. What are your thoughts, Daniel? On the gas
0: impingement versus piston scenario, me and Justin did a show back in the early days whenever you know we were podcasting together. You can go back and listen to that one if you want, it was like episode two or three or something like that. And uh, I always tell people if you listen to Gunfighter cast, listen to the newer ones first. Don't listen to the old ones. But if you want to go back and check that out, go ahead. But I'll I'll say it's the same thing that I did then, now. Like you said, it's not worth the money. You know, everybody, there's the Navy SEALs, uh, Special Warfare Development Group, what they call on TV, uh, SEAL Team 6. You know, I was stationed, like, right next to those guys for three years when I was in security forces. And they'd come out and shoot at our range, and we'd go shoot at their range. And they were always walking around with their sexy guns with everything known to man on it. And their cool little optics and stuff that they showed us. Uh, but these things were all Colt M4s. They were all gas. These guys are there all the time, like in Afghanistan. Out there, big freaking beards, the snake-eater types. And the gun that they chose was the regular gas impingement. The, that, I think that means something. I think it, it really does. There's a lot of trust for that firearm, for that gas impingement. So, I'm i, I like you. I'm not sold enough on the piston. Uh, you're not getting that much of a gain. And I see the videos of they're pulling them out of mud, pulling them out of dirt and shooting them. Uh, you know, that, that piston doesn't even have an effect on that. It doesn't work that way. You know, it's, what, what your, your piston is staying cleaner because it's not putting more carbon uh, through your, your normal gas tube and then moving that bulk carrier back. Uh, that's where your piston's winning against the gas impingement. But that's not that significant. Especially on the most ARs that you'll buy, the tolerance aren't so tight that shooting a magazine and filling that chamber full of carbon will no longer allow you to, to chamber rounds or your bolt to cycle. The tolerance are just not that tight for that to matter. And uh, I'm not selling the gas or the, uh, the piston. You know, if you want to spend the money, I think you'd be just fine with that 516. But you know, I keep it a little bit cheaper and you know, go ahead and buy uh, the more affordable one. That way you can spend that extra money on some cool optics that you want.
1: What about the uh, shorter barrels? So you, you have a thought on that?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I'm with you, man. It's like, first of all, I'm pissed off that I have to get a tax stamp to get a 14 half inch barrel if I want one. 16, I'm good, but 14 half, i I'm not. So now if I decide for a 10-inch barrel, you know, a 10-inch barrel uh, is less dangerous than a 20-inch barrel. A 20-inch barrel is going to be more accurate at a greater distance than that 10-inch barrel is. So by having 20 inches on my barrel... I'm increasing muzzle velocity. I am more accurate at range. And uh, I think I should have to pay a tax stamp on a 20-inch barrel, not a 10-inch barrel. I think that's just plain stupid.
1: Just don't suggest that.
0: Yeah, well, I'm not going to. <laughs> I, that's, that's the, like, following that logic, though, oh, the 10-inch barrel is more dangerous i got to put a tax stamp on it. It's just plain stupid. But I, I also you know, think that we should have to pay tax stamp and do other stuff for suppressors. I have a concealed care permit. I've, had, I've passed a background check. I should be able to go get a suppressor on a 10-inch barrel at the store right now if I want to shouldn't be any issue whatsoever. I think it's just playing good etiquette to make your gun quieter and put a suppressor on it very good the uh the ten inch barrel you're you're gonna lose accuracy uh, at at distance, especially when you start getting out uh, 250, 300 yards you're gonna your accuracy is gonna drop off significantly. Uh, there are ten inch barrels that can reach pretty good ways. Uh, you'll still be able to, you know, somewhat be able to hit targets at, at 300, but it's, it starts to be all over the place at that distance. You're really losing a lot at, at 10 inches. I, I think the good, happy medium is exactly what they have. And I think 14 and a half is the way to go. Now, even with 14 and a half, you still have to get that tag stamp unless you get a inch and a half, uh, compensator or flash hider and permanently attach it. Now, don't think permanently attached. you will never be able to get it off. Uh, the standard for permanently attaching uh, can still be taken off by your armor without damaging the gun or any problem whatsoever. And that's what I did on my last build. I got a 14 and a half barrel. I put an inch and a half compensator on, and that brought me to 16 inches. Sounds like So I got a little bit shorter, but uh, nothing significant. I think if I were a law enforcement SWAT operator or officer or whatever, and all I did was make entry— all the time I would like to have a 10 inch barrel uh, just if I'm always operating inside of buildings or in close proximity of a cordoned off I know the bad guys are in this building and I'm gonna make entry into this building I think the 10 inch barrel is a very good choice just for its size, its weight, its maneuverability cutting in through doors, uh, things in rooms, moving around, firing from cover uh, It's uh, the 10 inch barrel is nice for a lot of things like that and I think if that's what you do or what you're wanting to do then you know it might not be a bad choice but uh... if you're not doing all those things i would say that fourteen-and-a-half inch barrel go with the medium there put that uh... flash hider on there make it an inch and a half get you one of those surefire or something that attaches uh... you know one of the other uh, silencer suppressor manufacturers get one of theirs and put that on there and that's a little bit better than having sixteen inches and a suppressor uh... it's better to have you know if you want a suppressor, you know, go cut down a little bit shorter if you need to, and, and pay the tax stamp because you're going to go ahead and pay for one anyway with your suppressor. But uh, I think having a suppressor that's where you really win with the ten-inch uh, barrel because adding a suppressor onto sixteen inches is is getting a little bit
1: long. Well, that answers uh, my question. Do uh, you have one for us, Daniel?
0: I do. All right, this one's from Matt. Uh, Matt, thanks for sending this email. But Matt asked, he was looking at the FN Scar 17. And he's also looking at Springfield M1As. He asked about real- reliability issues with the SCAR. And is there anything else, he, reliability or other issues that he doesn't know about? And do I think they're worth the stout premium? Now, that's a good question. Are they worth the stout premium? Currently, the cheapest FN that I see on GunBroker is over $2,500. And I think that's a little bit steep. Twenty-five hundred dollars for for what you get. I have never shot a scar. I've held a scar, never shot one. I have friends, and I've said this before. I think when Aubrey was on for uh, a couple of shows, we talked about the scar once, if I remember correctly. We got some scars at the marksmanship training unit uh, in Quantico, Virginia. Basically, the people that oversee and head up all of our marksmanship training and uh, test fire guns when we get new guns. People want to send them new guns. They didn't like the scar. Uh, they said it had extremely loose tolerances. Uh, the accuracy wasn't quite there the way they wanted it to be. And I don't think this was the 17 though that they were using the 308 model. I'm not sure what which one they were, they, have, they had their hands on. I want to say it was the uh, 5.56 version, but uh not absolutely positive on that. I may have had both, but uh, they didn't care for it. And those people who have the scar that, that, that like it. Uh, some of those people have never really owned any other gun either, so uh, I don't think they have anything to compare it to. But if they're happy with it, then you know maybe you'd be happy with one too. I'm not sure how to go that way. But since you compared it to the M1A, I have to love of the M1A, M14s. Love those guns. You look at the price difference and the tried and true. Who does it like a good M14, John? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Everybody does. Uh, we know this thing's awesome. We know it works. Um, we know everything about it. There's all kind of data out there, reloading data, all kind of stuff you can get for that gun. It shoots the same round as this, but let's say uh, we want to spend not $2,500, but we would rather spend you know a cool $1,700 on a SOCOM 2. You're roughly close to the same size as that, that SCAR. You're getting an M14, and that SOCOM 2 is just plain sexy, in my opinion. It's on my list of guns that I want. And I went on for a long time. I had a buddy of mine who bought one, and he sold it because his wife yelled at him. And I was like, dude, man, don't keep that gun. Grow some balls, man. Tell her you're keeping it. And uh, I was really upset, and I cried for him a little bit. But love it. I, with those two choices, man, I would most definitely go with the M1A. Uh, I don't know if you like that SOCOM too, but if it was me and somebody said, okay, you have $2,500, go buy a SCAR or something else. I'm going to go buy that Socom 2, and I'm going to put a cool optic on it. I might even get a couple of optics and quick release mounts so I can switch optics and go for long range and shorter range. It's uh Or whatever, maybe an EOTech with a magnifier, because you know how much I love those. And you can afford both of those, EOTech and a magnifier and a Socom 2. Or you can just go get you a SCAR. There's my opinion. What do you think, John?
1: Well, I'm really not in the market for a 308, so... Um... I mean, first of all, kind of for me, again going back to the last email, we've already determined that I'm cheap. So, uh, twenty four hundred bucks on a rifle, um, when I could buy three M four hundreds for that price, I'd go with the, you know, the cheaper system. Um, but you know, there's certainly advantages to to running a three oh eight system uh, ballistically. Uh, I would just be cautious that you know, are you going to spend all your money? Getting into a three hundred eight system and then not have enough money left over where you can afford the ammunition to to shoot it regularly. Uh, you know, if that's the case, you got plenty of money, then you know, go go for the three hundred eight. Otherwise, you know, for me personally, if I had to pay for uh, my own ammo, then I'd probably stick with you know the five five six type of system just because I can shoot it more.
0: Well, I think he's already decided that he's getting three hundred eight. It's just which one do I want? Mm-hmm. Basically, the idea, like you said, even if even if I were rich, even if I won that millions of dollars that you know we were just won up there in uh in the US, I forget, 640 million or something ridiculous, you know, if I had that much money, I still wouldn't go buy a scar, but I would buy a SOCOM too.
1: Plus, it says SOCOM on it, so I mean, how cool is that?
0: Oh, yeah, you you have a SOCOM, something that says SOCOM, and then you spray paint it. Mm -hmm. Oh man, it's gonna be awesome! I'm drooling right now. Let me close this webpage before I bid on that thing. That's pretty much it, you know, as far as, uh, I guess, that email. Thanks for uh, asking that, Matt. I uh, appreciate it. And send us pictures of your SOCOM, too, when you get it.
1: John, you got anything else? So you want to uh, take a break, come back with our scenario? That sounds like a plan.
2: All right. Sounds good. You can hear Gun Rights Radio Network on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Gun Rights Radio Network shows can be found under sources.
0: Okay, welcome back. Daniel here. And we are going to give you a little scenario, and we're going to leave you with it. And you email us uh, your answers or what you would act out uh, as the good guy, of course, uh, in this scenario. And then we'll read the good ones, <laughs> I guess, uh, the next show, and uh, we'll talk about it. Uh, the scenario, basically, you're, uh, you're in a gas station and an individual comes in and you're somewhere looking at the potato chips uh, or Twinkies. The bad guy draws a firearm, points it at the clerk's head. Says something to the effect of, give me the money in the cash register. You hear this happen and you observe this individual with a firearm pointing at the clerk. You remain behind cover. You draw your weapon. He doesn't even notice that you're there. Uh, You give a verbal command, identifying yourself and stopping that individual. Uh, Stop or I'll shoot. Uh, He turns only his head and looks at you. Sees that you have a gun pointing right at his face. He decides at that point that he's going to go ahead and not get shot today, and he retains his pistol in his hand, breaks for the door, runs
1: outside. What do you do? Very good. Hopefully, we'll get some good feedback on this one.
0: Yeah, hope so too. Could be. Uh, I think it's a, a likely situation that, that could come, that could happen. Something that we could uh, plan for. So hopefully, we don't make the the wrong mistake in that, and uh, we'll leave you with that. You got anything else for this episode, John?
1: Uh, no, I just wanted to. Um, I wanted to thank uh, Road Gunner Podcast. A, a couple episodes back, uh, I don't think we've been on, but uh, they uh, had said some kind things to me on there. So uh, if you're not listening to them, give them a uh, give them a listen.
0: Uh, you know, John comes on here and nobody says kind of things to me anymore. They all like John. I think I'm just going to quit. And like, John, you can have Gunfighter Cast. All right.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes you obviously i think they know you're the brains of the operation here if if it were not for you yeah, the, that's what the whole is. thing would just come to a grinding halt but yeah. um so yeah go out there listen listen to road gunner um obviously listen to gun dudes uh who else you listen to daniel do you have time to hit all the podcasts i don't hit all the podcasts i do like
0: uh i like chaz over there at the road gunner or uh the Unknowing Trucker, or <laughs> you know they, they call him. The gun dudes crack on him and call him all kind of different names. It's funny. Mm-hmm. But uh I do like that show. It's a little bit different. It's really laid back. He's, uh, he's a fun host. usually has some pretty good content on there, too. And he's uh, I, I met him at MAG-40 last year, and he's uh, just a, a great guy. and Definitely worth a listen if you haven't listened to the Road Gunner podcast. Go check that one out. I listen to – I like Bob May at the Hangar World Show. I listen to that one pretty awesome. I'm quite a few shows behind on his. But uh, I, I do, I really like Bob Man. He has some really good guests on there, too. And some good stuff coming out of there. And Alex Haddock's at uh, Practical Defense. I listen to that one uh, quite regularly, too. He's got a lot of short shows, so if you don't have a lot of time, you could just download a bunch of his shows and, uh, you know, hit some of those short ones. And he always has uh, some really good, what he calls, quick tips. So I, I really like those. And, of course, the Gun Dudes. You know, the Gun Dudes, I've said before, it's pretty much the show that I don't miss when it comes out. i listen to it right away. And then uh, I've got a most everybody's podcast on the gun Race radio network on my iphone and you know sometimes when i'm sitting around doing nothing i'll just play a random one i always download them for everybody just to show the support you know downloading their their new shows and stuff from the network and uh, next thing you know i forgot to update my podcast on my phone and i'm on a six or twelve hour flight somewhere and i've got plenty of stuff to listen to so that's kind of why i do it and it's always good what do you usually listen to john
1: well, um, I, it sounds like I'm in a similar situation to you because, uh, unfortunately, I only have a 15-minute commute to work, so I download more than I get a chance to listen to on a regular basis, so I do sometimes get behind. But pretty much the stuff that you'd mentioned, um, practical defense, uh, I think I've been listening to that since the beginning, actually, before uh, before Alex even came to the Gun Rights Radio Network. That's a real good uh, resource. In fact, in uh, some of my classes that I teach, I've been recommending that one for a while. You know, Road Gunner, Handgun World Show, Gun Dudes. Um, you know, I can't even, you know, I don't even want to say all of them because I know I'll leave somebody out of it. But uh, there's just yeah, don't even try that one. so many, so much good content out there. Just go out there and, uh, you know, check out as many as you can.
0: You know, also, I haven't watched it yet, but he's got two episodes up on YouTube. My good buddy, George Hill... It's over at uh, Matt Ogre Block, and he's also uh, one of the uh, big guys over at Weed the Arm forums. And you know, you probably remember from being on the show a couple times with me talking about Crusader weaponry, Crusader training, and Slipstream, and his cool zombie book that one day General Shaw would be in, which is pretty cool. Further there for the forum there, and awesome group of guys over there at Weed the Arm, and uh, just it's a, it's kind of a different gun forum. It's like a bunch of buddy's hanging out drinking beer kind of for him It's uh I, I like it. But the uh he's got two episodes up on YouTube kind of doing like a video podcast kind of thing. Go over there and uh check it out. Like I said I haven't even watched them yet, but you know George is doing it so I know it's going to be worth watching. It's uh it's going to be good. So check them out. Really, I haven't watched them cuz my internet is so horrible for me to watch one It would take like 3 hours for it to buffer. By all means go check those out and uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy uh what George has got going on. But he's always an interesting guy. And that's uh that's pretty much it yeah. for, you know what I watch, listen to, whatever. Maybe one day we'll talk about what we read or have read. Yeah, what was good and wasn't good.
1: Hey, I got one more for you. Have you um uh, have you ever listened to the Gun Runner podcast?
0: Uh, that is with uh, Ryan Rockin, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rockin or Rockin Rockin. Yeah, no, I haven't. I another one I have downloaded, but I, I haven't even listened to him and he is a fellow marine so uh i hope he doesn't shoot me from whatever distance he is from me for not listening to his show
1: yeah what else he does but, uh, I, I think he releases like three podcasts a day or, or something crazy uh he's always really? it's I've, I've heard he's a podcast from the morning and then he's got another one in the afternoon i don't know if he does that all the time but uh he's really uh, putting the content out there definitely worth a listen wow. you
0: know i haven't even noticed that, I've got to get those and download and listen to them because, you know, if it's uh, another Marine talking, and i got to listen for that reason whatsoever. That's a lot of content. And, I like, and if you're doing that many, it's probably short shows and like I said earlier, that works out for me a lot of times uh, better than anything else. So, listeners, join me in going and checking out the uh, Gunrunner podcast. While you're at it, listen to all the other shows on the Gun Rights Radio Network. That's the cool thing about the network, man. You listen to a show that you're just not a big fan of, well, you got about 30 more that you can try out. You know, it's uh. There's a a lot of good stuff on there. Go there. That's at Gunrightsradio.com and join us on the forums. Or you can go to gunfightercast.com and click the forum link and be right there on the Gun Rights Radio Network forum. By all means, leave questions, interact with us, talk to us. You can go there and put your answer to our scenario uh, in the forum thread. I think that'd be the best way to do it instead of emailing us. Put it in our our forum thread there where I post the show. That way everybody else can kind of get into it and and give their opinions, and we can just basically do what we do on forums and share information and learn from each other. So that's the way we'll do it. Way to, way to segue me into the forum uh, reminder, John.
1: Uh, I think that was all you. I'm just sitting here staying out of your way. Whatever. All right. Well,
0: John, it was a great time hanging out with you on my birthday. I hope we're, we're doing this again. We'll do
1: it again my next birthday. Yeah, hopefully we'll do it before your next birthday.
0: Well, I guess uh, that's pretty much all we have. Respond on the forums to our scenario, and we will respond to you in the next show and on the forums with you during the week. And we'll be recording the next one next weekend, uh, unless John ditches me, like uh, he did for a while.
1: Mm Mm-hmm, unless I get a better offer. Was it my fault for being right next to Russia at all? I was, uh, yeah, I was waiting to see if I got that uh, Mega Millions, and obviously I'm here, so I didn't get it, so... Still be podcasting.
0: If I won that Mega Millions, I would still be podcasting. I would just buy my own studio.
1: Yeah, you'd have free time. It'd
0: be in my. It'd be in in, in my gun gun vault. What else are you gonna do? You might as well podcast and like take training courses.
1: Life would be good.
0: If I if I won that Mega Millions, the gun industry manufacturers alone they would go up in sales drastically. All the firearms trainers in the U.S. would suddenly become thousandaires. Because I would go to all of them twice. I would bring friends just because I don't want to go there and not know anybody. I'd bring all my buddies. You know, it, it would be like the greatest thing that ever happened to the firearms training industry in the U.S. for me to win Mega Millions.
1: Well, maybe next time.
0: I'd even bring you. All right, so let's stop this rambling. Yes. Or let's stop me rambling and you agreeing with my rambling. <laughs> and uh, we'll say goodbye. So until uh, next time, come fighter cast out.
1: Be safe.